today uh, we have uh, a couple of couples, and uh, why don't you introduce yourself, and we'll start up here with Tugupur sides. We kind of have it, so they're kind of, I think in the next service, we'll put the chairs side by side, all four, kind of, we've got the Corleys hiding behind there, but yeah, right. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, good morning. Um, my name is Dovin, and this is my lovely wife, Bibi. Um, we've been married for over 21 years, and we have three beautiful girls. Yeah. And my name is Dan. This is my beautiful wife, Heather. Uh, we've been married for 24 years, um, and we have eight children. Yeah, say that again. How many, how many children? We have eight children. Eight children. Yeah. He, he's, he did say that right. We have a couple of families uh, in here with a lot of kids, which is great, right? How many have a, more than eight kids? Raise your hand. You got, yeah. The, 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 come on, raise your hand proudly. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, um, there, you know, what we wanted to do is just ask some questions about this. Is are Chris and Shauna here, by the way? Chris and Shauna here. I don't see our new worship pastors for Farmington will be here next Sunday, and they're here. They had they moved into a home and it had mold in it, so they're looking. I don't know if they found one, but if you know of a place they could rent, please let Pastor Zach know. Uh, of a place they could rent in the meantime because they got here and their kid got sick within three days so I, I need to remember I needed to remember to bring that up if if there's something you know is available for them to be there oh, let's let's look at the three theme verses as we get started Ephesians 4 says be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love you don't have to bear with someone unless they're unbearable you know, if you're going to bear with them in love, it's because they're difficult, right? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make this your ambition in Philippians 2, 3, 4, uh, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How many have found that to be difficult? Are you here today? I, I know I'm not super high. How many found it be difficult to put other people's interests above your own, right? Yeah, it's, it's pretty tough. First Peter 4, 8 through 10 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You ask any mother that, and they'll tell you that's true. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. And a few weeks ago, we talked about loving the human race and our responsibility uh, to do that, pursue that. Last week, Pastor Chuck talked about marriage and the marriage mentoring and the importance of marriage. How many enjoyed Pastor Chuck last week? He was told he did a great job. Today we want to talk about family. And you'll hear people say this comment, these comments all the time. I came from a dysfunctional home. Um, or our family wasn't perfect. Or every family is dysfunctional to, to some extent. What, what I would say is this. If if you were asked, if, if I said, I'm going to give you a superpower, and that superpower is to make your family perfect, however, you have to draw what that picture looks like. You have to make that picture perfect. I, I would tend to think that 
there isn't anyone in this room or any room that could figure out how to make a perfect family because it, there is no such thing as a perfect family. You can live in a perfect family and for there to be dysfunction. I think we got to get out of our mind that we're not perfect. No, not only is nobody perfect, I, I don't think anyone would disagree with that, but it is, it's an illusion. It is a lie of the enemy to try to discourage you in being a functional home. The reality is even the term dysfunction, we use that as an excuse to explain why we behave. As, well, I came from a dysfunctional. No, you're behaving this way. Maybe it was impacted by dysfunction in your home, but you cannot use it as an excuse for why you're where you're at. You have to, you, the, the one, the cross sets us free from that, gives us the ability to be free from that, but we have to move on from that. And you have to understand what the word dysfunction means. I think failure to understand the English language sometimes works against us. Dysfunction does not mean what we think it means. With dysfunction, when we think it was a dysfunctional home, we think of events that were broken events in our life, things that happened in our life that were broken, when dysfunction actually means it didn't function in a way a home should function. It doesn't mean that some people in this room, in fact, I am positive there are people in this room that grew up in homes that were not functional at all. But if we're going to answer the question of what is a, a healthy home, we have to first answer the question of what's a functional home? What does a functional home look like? And are we succeeding in creating a functional home? Um, and Job, this is a great verse. I love it. And Job, the first book written in the Bible, it's the oldest book uh, many believe in history the oldest book that we have in history, it says this in verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7, says, your beginnings will seem humble. How many know when you start out as a parent, they don't give you an owner's manual? Usually it's the people who think they know everything about parenting that know nothing about it. Because they don't know enough to know they know nothing. Right? So your beginnings seem humble, so prosper, prosperous will be your future, meaning there's a great future ahead. You have the potential of a great future. But look at what it says. Ask the former generation and find out what the ancestors learned, for we were born only yesterday and know nothing. And our days on earth are but a shadow. What, what they're saying is, isn't that funny? In a generation, which is all of us, we are this generation. All of us. If you're living, you are this generation. In this generation, we are trying to tear down the structures of the past, structures of government, structures of family, structures of church. In fact, one of the preeminent goals of a, a true millennial is, is to attack every structure because we need to take it down and we're not going to ask the people who went before us. We have all the answers. We have books. We have new understanding. We have philosophy. And Job says, you, you need the structures of the past. Do you know if you took out your skeleton out of your body, you could survive, but only for a short time? You wouldn't be able to do anything because you'd be a blob on the floor. You need structure. Whether you like it or not, you need structure. 
And part of that structure is we have older elephants, and that's my term. I call them the older elephants in the room because of an illustration I use with elephants. The older elephants teach us things, and, and it's important to understand that. My wife and I learned a lot from, I, I ran the seniors ministry when, we were, when I was 24 years old. And when it came to parenting, I asked the seniors about how to do, you know, we had kids, twins, and I had to feed them, and we were up all night, and I, and I went to an event with seniors, and I sat down, and I said, you ladies got to help me or I'm going to die. <laughs> and uh, they told us to do everything the doctor told us not to do. But I listened to them. Because they had raised kids way more. And, you know, and, and when we took the kids to the doctor, we said, oh, your kids are super healthy. It's like, because we didn't listen to you. We listened to the, uh, the old ladies in our church. <laughs> right? And they helped us. They gave us. It says, look what it says. Will they not instruct you and tell you, will they not bring forth words from their understanding? If you're going to learn how to parent, you want to learn from the older elephant. People have been down the road. They've learned. They've done it. They know what to Well, they don't understand our culture. Yeah, they do, more than you realize. You really need to adopt older people. If you're young parents, you need to adopt older people in your life, not just for marriage, but also for raising kids. So the first question I want to ask um, some of our, uh, I'm not going to call them older elephants because I'd probably get... Uh, mean stares from Heather over there if I did that. <laughs> she's smiling. That's good. <laughs> We're not, she's my age, though. So here's the first question. Do you remember a dysfunctional event that happened in your family and you look back and think, what were we thinking? Who wants to start? Um, yeah, put it right up to your mouth there, yeah? Yes, I can remember a few of them that happened in our marriage at an early stage that we have, we have decided not to let it happen again. I remember one time um, we were all dressed, the kids were very, the girls were very little, and we were dressed for a special occasion, and we had a big disagreement. Um, I'm very strict when we go out in terms of um, the way they dress and things like that, so... Me and Bibi, we have a big uh, disagreement. Uh, she started to cry. The girl started to cry, all right? When you're going out for, for an occasion, you want everybody to look well, and they, they're happy. And it, we had an outburst, but eventually we were able to calm down, and then we were able to take off. Where were you going? Uh, I think we were going to a Thanksgiving celebration. With who? Uh, my in-laws. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> I didn't want to say that because some of them are here. Um, the girls are crying because that was the first time we had a disagreement in front of the kids. And um, I think that was the last one too. So we usually don't have disagreement in front of the kids. So that was like a big deal. Okay. And they just had a daughter get married. How about you guys? Any event you think? Well, as we started this um, thought process, there's about 100,000 that come to mind. Um, so I'll just share a quick one. Um, um, I am an extremely competitive individual, and so is my wife. And I remember when we, my son Zach over there was five. Um, I'll name names, don't worry. Um, um, I took him to one of his very first soccer games. And just, the, I'll, I'll skip forward to the end of the story, Zach is not a soccer player. 
uh, but he's a big, strong, fast kid. Um, and so I'm excited for my big, strong, fast son to go out there and just kick some butt. Well, about a minute in, what it looks like to me is he's actually in his mind, even though he's on a soccer field, he's actually in a Super Mario video game because he's jumping from coin to coin to coin to coin. Um, and at one point, he's like pretending to be Superman, flying down the road. And I am just irate because this is like we're playing sports now, son. It is time to get after it. So as he gets off, I start yelling at him in front of all the parents uh, about wasting my time. If you're not going to play sports to win, you're just wasting my time. And he begins to cry as we get into the car. And uh, so I reach back and I roll down the windows and I take his toys he's playing with because he's trying to comfort himself and I threw them out the window um, about wasting my time. So after I got home and I won the Father of the Year Award, I <laughs> we drove back. To, I apologize. We drove back, and I accidentally ran over the toys in the parking lot. Um, but I didn't tell him that. I pretended to drive about 30 feet more ahead, and we looked in the bushes and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, Father of the Year Award. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Isn't, isn't it funny, uh, you know, the, the statement that you're going to hear me say a lot about parenting is, and you'll see it up on the screen, dysfunctional moments do not make a dysfunctional family. Dysfunctional moments don't make a dysfunctional family. And, you know, those moments happen in life to the best of parents. So if those have happened to you and you've done those and you're like, oh, man, you think that was bad what Dan did or... Or, or, or dove in, you should have heard what I did. Um, we all have stories of dysfunctional moments, right? Uh, because we're human. Um, I, I would say I grew up in a perfect family because I am who I am because of the family we had, and we had dysfunctional moments. Yeah, but my home was functional. You, just because you have dysfunctional moments, your home can still be functional. Right, can still operate. And one of those, you say, well, what is a functional home? I'm going to give you really, if you all know what function is really in a home, you've heard it if you went to school. It's not even a biblical verse. It's something that is, is very true in what function is in a home. It's by Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you say, oh, I think I've heard that, but I don't know what it is, we're going to go through it just very quickly. If you're going to have a functional home, the first thing that needs to happen is you, the physiological needs have to be met in a home. So if you give them food, a home, shelter, uh, clothing, you give them their, what's needed for survival, you've accomplished the first function of a functional home. So somebody say, yes, yes. it's a successful home. <laughs> Our home is functional at least at the first level right um so you've succeeded at that level the second thing is safety in order for it to be a functional home there needs to be safety where they feel like they're not going to die uh, that when they go to this home there's protection in this home they don't get bullied in the home they feel safe they can take a breath uh, they feel like when they go to the home that there's physical safety in the home and that is extremely important for a child is feel, to feel physically safe. And, and this, is, this is where um, I believe in spanking. I don't believe in child abuse. And there is a difference. Some people believe that they're the same. They're not. And in some cases, there is abusing children 
because of your temper or because of your anger and not to discipline or disciple. The only time you use it is really to disciple, not to destroy or, or to harm the child. There is a difference. And, and if it's child abuse and you're abusive when disciplining, they don't feel safe. If you attack them verbally with your words, they're not feeling safe in the home. And, and that, if you're providing safety, you've met the second level. The third is there's belonging and love. They believe in their home, they belong. Like, this is where I belong. I feel you love me. I feel uh, I'm accepted by parents. There's support. Parents are proud of them. The next one is esteem. They're, they're built up. That's where they're, they're, they have confidence. They're taught humility, but they understand that when God created me, he didn't create junk. You know, in the world, you know, in junior high, when the kids are all picking on them, you may not know it. And most kids do not come home and tell you that kids are picking on them at school. You know why? They want you to be proud of them. They don't often tell you that, or they don't want you to go and beat them all, beat them all up. Right, moms? Because how many moms want to go to school with them the next day and tell those kids off? And they don't want you doing that. But it's important when they come home that you confront what's happening in school that you know you don't know about, but you know is happening, that you kind of build them up and support them in that. And then it's self-actualization, helping them realize they have a purpose and abilities. They don't need to be everything to all people. They just need to be them, and what is them, and who are they, and, and how did God create them? And the last that Maslow didn't put into it, uh, but they added to it was transcendence, and transcendence is having an attitude to help other people. So a functional home creates this culture in the home where these functions are being met. And so if you want to know how functional your home is, look at these, this, just the list of these things and say, how are we meeting this in the life of our, our children right now? And it'll let you know whether it's functional. You know, if you think about dysfunctional moments in life, Jesus's family had to be pretty dysfunctional. Can you imagine you think of the Christmas story? <laughs> This, we were in Bethlehem, and, and our guide really identified this. Because we always say, they went to Bethlehem, and there was no room in the... The word used for inn is actually a home. It's a living room. They said there was no room in this inn. When she arrived, she's nine months pregnant. After a two-and-a-half, three-day journey on a donkey. And the family says... We don't have any room, and I'm not giving mine up for you. Now, how many people in your family, your distant cousin shows up, she's nine months pregnant, and she happened to take a donkey, or for that matter, you know, like a Prius from California. <laughs> Are you going to tell her there's no room in our house? You're going to have to sleep in the garage? No, somebody's moving out of their bedroom so that pregnant lady can get the room, right? but not in Jesus' family. And there's a reason for that. One, they either thought she was lying, and they were both lying, and they weren't going to have any of that in their home because they were too righteous for that, or she was pulling something over on Joseph, and Joseph was just gullible and believed her, and they, 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 there was dysfunction there. You better believe Joseph was having words with this family. 
about not letting them be there. And then can you imagine Jesus? I mean, Jesus is born into this rejection of family and this whole rejection situation. And can you imagine Jesus growing up and like never having to be able to, oh yeah, mom, I knew you'd need it done, so I did it already. I mean, like all the rest of the kids would hate Jesus. Like, why couldn't you be more like Jesus? You know, now we think, be more like Jesus. But then, they're like, they, they would be the type of kids that would have hated the WWJD bracelets. Like, are you serious right now? Like, Jesus can do everything. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, it, it would just be a very dysfunctional or it just, it wouldn't be a fun atmosphere for a kid growing up because you'd think you're always being compared to them. So, so there's this, this sense that Jesus understands what that is, Right? Jesus understands what that's like. And so don't get hard on yourself about where your family is, but you do need to become more strategic in how you're going to be more functional in your home because it isn't going to accidentally happen. You're not going to accidentally have a good home. And some of those strategies, and I want to ask the question of the panel in this, things, uh, what are some things you did to protect them from that you protected them from? Um, we didn't have them have sleepovers at friend's house. We um, usually want to meet the friend's parents first, and or the friends come over to our house and sleep over if they want and if they're allowed to. Um, we didn't have them, you have cell phone. Brittany didn't get a cell phone till like in high school, and late middle school to high school, then they had cell phones, and um, they didn't allow to like, social media just um, text or call. That's all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's, what's something else? Heather, did you? Well, we um, just were really selective on their choices. Um, like Phoebe said, just with uh, sleepovers, we really tried not to pursue that unless we trusted the people. Um, movies, TV shows, I mean, even now, movies, I have to go to like um, movie guide or plugged in movie reviews just to see if there's any inappropriate stuff. Um, Really just don't let them free surf on the TV for hours at end. Um, we also talked to our kids too that if you know they're ever in a situation where they need to get out of and they can throw us under the bus as much as they want, you know? If they're like, um, like recently one of my children didn't want to go to something but they didn't quite know how to say, I can't go. So they were like, Mom, can you please just tell me I can't go to this that's going on next week at this time at this place? And I said, yep, you're forbidden to go. And she's like, thank you. Oh, she, sorry. She texted her friends, hey, my mom said I can't go. And I was like, I don't care. That's totally fine with me. Yeah. Um, you know, Dan and I, we tell our kids, if we don't have the password to your cell phone, I'll shut off your bill, like your phone, like today. You won't have access to it. And I get to see whatever I want, whenever I want. I mean, Caitlin's almost 23 and getting married in two weeks. She's the admin at the Apple Valley campus. And I still have access to, like, everything. I told her, I'm like, you know, you can probably turn it off now. You're almost married. <laughs> yeah. That, what are some things you let them experience? Um, for our girls, um, we have made a decision to let them go into the public school because um, we want them to be the salt and the light. Um, I know when they go out there, they're gonna experience the real world. And as parents, um, we do our work at home, pray with them, 
and help them to develop spiritually. So when they go out there to the public school, they should be able to embrace the culture in the public school and in the environment out there. And I'll say we did the opposite. Caitlin went through sixth grade public school and that was horrendous. So I pulled all my kids out and I've been homeschooling for 11 years and we, I mean, they still experience a lot because you can't not, but we decided to um, feed into them at home and give them the biblical worldview before sending what, them out. What, what were some things that you set them up for that you set them up for to experience? You knew that it would help them. Um, I think Dan, Dan has something I want to... Well, I think when our kids were getting older, what we decided to do was for our older ones, we decided to, or we, we made them when they were, I think, 14, 15 to actually start their own businesses. Um, this was something that we wanted them to get out and experience um, what that was like to be able to sell yourself, you know, have something that's your own and get out. What my boys did is they walked around to all the neighbors and they collected all the junk that the neighbors wanted to sell, but never got around to it. And then taught our kids how to um, build a website. They built a website. How do you market? How do you interact? And I'll never forget the first time somebody actually replied, like somebody actually reached out to uh, two of my boys, um, driving them over to Cub Foods where they were going to sell this thing. I think they may be 14 years old. And we sat in the car and they're like waiting for me to get out and go talk to the 50-year-old guy. And it's like, no, this is your deal. Um, and so I just sat there as they walked over and tried to negotiate this sale with this guy. And I feel like, you know, did they end up, you know, man, we're talking maybe six months we did this, but setting our kids up doing things like that um, so that they, they knew they had confidence that they could do it, that they could experience other things besides what everybody else, like in their little friend group, was doing. Yeah, so these are three questions I would ask everyone in the room. What are things that you protect them from? And I'll help you a little bit. And these are things that if they make the mistake, it will leave lasting consequences in their life. So there are things that, uh, that like dating, this is a big deal. You, the, especially at a younger age, you really want to have some say in, in how that works. There should be boundaries and when dating. Um, we, one of the things we almost teach them is when they date a lot, they break up, they go together, they break up. You know, some would argue that we're teaching them how to be divorced. We're letting them constantly go in that relationship, say they love each other, and then they break up. So what are things that you say, no, this, these are guidelines. I'm not going to let you go open doors in your life that will affect your life. And then the, what are things where they really feel passionate about it, and you know it's not going to work, but it's also not going to leave a lasting consequence in their life. It's not. So let them experience it. When it does fail, they might come back and say, you know what, maybe mom and dad aren't as dumb as I thought they were. You know, maybe they did know a little bit of what they were talking about. You let them experience it. You don't have to protect them from every failure. And actually, it's a mistake to protect them from every failure. They need to experience that so that you can help them deal with the failure after they fail, after they go through. It's important. And then there's some things, and why I liked what Dan said so much is, how do we set our kids up to be great adults? 
you're not raising kids. You're raising them to be prosperous adults. And so there are things, I think a lot of times we protect them from things rather than set them up for things that they may succeed in and they may fail at. But let's see how they do, and then we'll walk them through it. So how are we setting them up in areas of their life where we say, you should do that? This is something, I'm going to put you in a position to see how you do, and then we'll walk through it and see how it worked. You know, that's called parenting. That's, that's really, parenting is discipling them to be adults and creating them an environment for them to succeed in that. Um, and, and by the way, there's studies. In fact, I found a number of studies done where parents relegate responsibility to experts to raise their kids, the kids are less likely to be functional later in life. Parents are the primary source of discipleship in the life of a kid. You're not their friend, you're their parent. That is, that trumps friend, that trumps pastor, that trumps doctor, that trumps every other, every other expert in the world. Experts are there to help you lead your children, to help you to be the voice in the life of your kids. You don't defer to the expert. You listen to the expert. You, you don't defer to the pastor. You listen to the pastor. You, you allow that youth pastor to help you with your child, but not be the primary voice of spiritual things in your child's life. When that happens, that child's most likely, in fact, they did a study 10%, and, and there's somehow they did this study where they asked them, were you the primary voice of spiritual things in the life of your kid? Uh, of the kids where the parent was not the spiritual center of dispersing information, only 10% of those kids stayed in the church, even though they had another spiritual voice in their life. Only 10% where the parent deferred. Parents cannot afford to defer. Just not how God set it up. So there's three functional things. The first functional com is functional conversations. And I'm, I need, you know, one of the things, table talk, you know, as time changes, uh, the table in many ways have disappeared. Who would like to address where that conversation takes place? Um, I, I have to say the living room. We usually sit and chat in our living room. And conversation we change from one to the next, and then um, I think up, up to t today, th this day, we still have conversations in our living room. And the girls give us update of what's going on with school, their lives, and so on. Was there someone in your family that was pretty quiet? You don't want to embarrass me. Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole is a shy one. Yeah, she's the shy one, even mm -hmm. in the family. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Is she here today? She gets it from me. <laughs> she gets it from me. How about you guys? So we, uh, you know, we're a sports family, so we spend a lot of time driving back and forth to sporting events. So that that's kind of our time where we got them locked into the car. Um, there's no headphones. There's we might do like music, but we're doing like we're singing along, just jamming some '70s disco or something like that. But that's 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 our time to connect with our kids. And what's funny is we pick other kids up in the neighborhood and drive. And now that my some of my, my girls, uh, or Lizzie's in high school, her friends will have earbuds on in the car. And it's like, it's like they're in their own little world, but like we're, Lizzie and I, or, or my kids, we're just talking. And we use those 20, 30 minute sessions just to really connect. Yeah, you know, it used to be a day where you came to, you ate together. Isn't it interesting how even after school, 
if you, the kids come over, you, how food and talking go hand in hand. You, you should really use food to bring your kids to a center point and then talk to them. Uh, functional conversations are extraordinarily important that we have, that we learn to talk to our kids at not texting them. Maybe text them while they're sitting in front of you that you should have a conversation. Uh, but we need to have functional conversations because there's all kinds of conversations that are taking place uh, uh, in our schools, all around us, but we need to learn how to communicate with our kids and when to communicate with our kids. And it gets harder after 12. How many have noticed that? Um, from 15 and 16, the, a term I use a lot is they go behind the moon. And, and you kind of lose, like they just disconnect at 15, 16. From 12 on, they go into an independent stage where they just, everything they learn from 6 to 12, they're going to put, that's what they believe. And then that, now they're going to test it and they're not really going to communicate with you. So you have to make intentional effort that one, whenever they want to talk, you put everything aside and you talk. And that you, you kind of just constantly try to make connections with them in order to have functional conversation. Like really, don't, be in, don't, don't lose your cool when they talk about stuff that you don't agree with. Make sure, because you can scare your kids away because, because you lose your cool. And they want to talk to you, but they don't want to deal with the intensity in which you want to have that conversation. So even when you're stoked, go and say, I got to go use the bathroom. I'll be right back. And go beat up a window or something and then come back out and, and have that conversation with them in a calm way. Does that make sense? Because you don't want to shut them down. Here's the second one is functional family culture. So we need to have functional conversations. Then we need to have functional family culture. And uh, how, uh, you know, how did you establish some of that culture in your home, some of the family culture in your home? Um, in, in our home, there are certain things that um, we, certain principles that we abide daily. Um, for the girls, when they, when they were growing up, the first thing that they, they, they do in the morning when they get up, they have to make up their bed. Uh, they brush their teeth, they take a shower, and then they come downstairs, maybe prepare breakfast for, breakfast for them. And these things they have to follow on a daily basis. On school nights, they're not allowed to watch television. Monday through Thursday. So when it comes to Friday, they're very anxious to, to watch television. So we lay down those principles, and um, we have family devotion. Uh, family devotion is a time where we study the Word of God, and we, have, we, we worship God together. We cultivate the presence of God in our home. And there is where we see a vast growth in our girls' life. When they start to express themselves before God and worship Him, I know when they were younger, they pray for each other and they throw stones. Because if Brittany sees something in Nicole's life, she will pray about that issue in Nicole's life. Nicole will do the same thing. Ashley will do the same thing. But as they grow older and start to worship God, they express, Lord, you are my rock. You are my salvation. And that's what brings joy to our heart. Yeah. I guess I just wanted to reiterate, too, that, you know, Pastor James talks about the family table and that time together, but it doesn't have to be dinner. It can be breakfast. Um, because my kids are home a lot during the day, we have lunch together. Because most of the time we are running sports. Dan coaches sports, I coach sports. We run a, an AAU club, and we're just, we're gone a lot. So 
that time can be different. So I just want to encourage you to kind of think that through. Um, like Bibi and Dovin, we also established a culture of um, with our kids that uh, habits are important because you need structure. And getting up in the morning, the kids are expected to um, get dressed, to eat, brush their hair, brush their teeth. And the very next thing is chores because, like Pastor James said, um, you know, we're a family or a family unit working together. I'm not their maid. Um, so if you live here, you help, you work. And so that's the expectation. And after the chore, it, it is uh, before we start our schoolwork, the first thing is some kind of a devotion. Rather, it's just a simple five-minute devotion. It's, um, you know, I have a couple that are getting into uh, seventh grade now, so they kind of have their own plans that they do. Um, so it, it can be very simple, but um, our, our routine, I guess, is kind of similar to B.B. and Dovin. Right. You know, the Bible says uh, that we, we bless our kids with generational curses or blessings. And you, the culture we have in your home, whether it's a culture, if you, if you want a culture of honor, generosity, a life-giving culture, a godly culture, a loving culture, it has to be nurtured. But you're going to get the culture that you invest in. When you see the culture of your home, if you're going to correct the culture, um, you have to change, one, how you as parents are thinking in that. You have to begin to invest those principles in your kids. Say, hey, kids, this is not who we are. This is not what our family uh, looks like or the culture of our family. This is who we are. We're generous. We're we're life-giving, and in order to be life-giving, we're not going to tear people down. We're going to lift people up. And and But they, parents... You're the source of culture in your home. Your kids mirror the culture that you're living in. You, you, a lot of times we get angry with our kids for mirroring who we are rather than it, because we want them to be better than we are. And the reality is if you want them to be better than you are, then you need God's help to change who you are because we show them what, cult, what that culture is. The last one is, and, and time is holding us to this, is functional interaction with the culture. You know, we are in a culture that I think for 50 years ago, they could have said the same thing, but we're in a culture that really attacks our biblical beliefs and a moral code. So how do you deal with, how did you deal with that, uh, dealing with the culture that you're in? What were some of the things you did to help them to deal with the culture. Because if you're struggling with how you work in this culture, it's even more difficult for your kids who are under the pressure of comparison, wanting to fit in and be accepted. So um, so I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, so like family devotions and things like that were difficult for me. But I'm an IT nerd and I'm a coach. So the thing I really love is the whiteboard. Um, so I remember sitting down with our kids and I would actually draw like whiteboard sessions. Uh, I'm laughing as I'm saying it right now. As we draw a line, line down the middle and one would be the worldview and God, our world plan and God's plan. And we would talk through certain situations like if you decide to go drinking, okay, what's the next step? You know, what can happen? I would draw like a flow chart and then I'd be like, what is God's plan? What would God want you to do in that situation? Okay, and if you got to this point, what would happen? Trying to get them to process through their mind. It, it's great. I, I felt like as an outsider growing up in church, it was just like, um, God is great, blah, 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 the end. 
And it's like, so I felt like I had to teach my kids how to process through why God set things up the way that he did. And the only way I knew it to do it was uh, on the whiteboard. <laughs> Those are the kind of things that I think we can laugh about, but actually work. Um, it, it's it, because it's intentional and it's, it's part of what discipleship. And when he brought it up, I said, what a great uh, idea of one, it, the connection you have with your kids to kind of respect them and to kind of show them through that. You know, Genesis 7 1 says, The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. What's interesting, the Lord really spoke to me on this verse, he, he kind of put this verse in my heart, is build an ark and call it your home. In a culture that's got flooding with immorality and all of the brokenness and the ways of thinking, every, child, every family needs an ark. And God protected them from the storms of the world in the ark. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a person that believes you, you, I, you really want them to know what's going on out there, but to then appreciate the structure of the ark appreciate the protection and the, that it provides them, the safety, and it becomes functional. Is it perfect? No, because there is no perfect. There's no concept, of, but it's functional, right? They didn't live in it after the storm was done, right? They, they, but it was functional. So Proverbs 22.6 says this, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Just bringing them to church isn't going to help them. They need an ark where the presence of God dwells. If you think just because you bring them to church, that's a great help, but they need to know the word of God. They need to know the voice of God. They need parents that show them what it is to live in a world where they serve God and, and they have, like, there is, there is a structure inside of them that knows God's voice. They make decisions based on that. But, but they also provide a functional place for that fam family to dwell and to grow. So what are some lessons to be pursued? Here's, I'm going to quickly give them to you. Enjoyment and laughter, not stress and pain. Create an atmosphere where you can laugh and enjoy one another. Identity, not performance. Don't base who they are. Don't call them a liar just because they lied. That's not their identity. That's what they performed, not who they are. Identi this isn't who you are. That's, that's not God's plan. This is who you are. This is your identity. Insulation, not isolation. And this is a mistake I think a lot of parents are making. Rather than walking through the valley of the shadow of death with their kids, they're isolating them from the valley of the shadow of death. They will not be prepared as adults. And I see that. We are so overprotective of the parents. You need to walk with them through the valley of the shadow, through culture. They need, to, they need to be aware of what's happening when they're ready, and you need to be right next to them and help them understand and process that through their thinking so they understand the destructive and the blessing part of it. So we don't isolate them, we insulate them. Um, clarity, not confusion about uh, culture. Uh, we, don't let them just figure it out. Help them walk through it and understand it. And you say, well, I don't understand it all. Well, then, then you go to the Lord and you figure it out together and you talk about it together. And then last, empowered rather than helpless. Empower your kids uh, to become adults so that they don't want to hang out until they're 30 in your basement. 
And some of your parents are thinking, oh, that's what I want. And that is not good parenting. You don't want your kids to be in your house till they're 30, 35, unless there's an extenuating circumstance where that's required. You want them to grow up. And, and I'll give you an example of this. When I was growing up, my, I was 17 years old. I've told you this story. And my grandfather had died. My mom had died a year before, and it was her dad had died. Of, they both died of cancer. 17, my brother was 16. My dad put us in his two-year-old conversion van with my four siblings, and he said, go to the funeral. He didn't give us any money, and it's 16 hours away on the west side of North Dakota. We lived in Wisconsin. He, he put his whole family in that van, and, and to his 17-year-old son said, go to the funeral and pay for it. And, and us, it was not even an issue. It wasn't even intimidating. It was just like, let's go do it. Yeah, okay, no big deal. But that had been developed in us from the time when we were small kids where we were empowered and not, but parents today have become so afraid of what might happen because they watched it on the news. And so many bad things have happened around the world that we're now aware of that we're like, oh, I can't let my kids. And we're trying to, we're, we're, we're literally robbing their capacity. Your kids are much more capable than you give them credit. And you really do need to let them experience some things that you're, oh, no, they're not ready. They're not ready. They are ready. Because when they grow old, they will have far more capacity and they'll be far more equipped than some of the other children where the parents are just hovering and they're guarding. Now, how many of the older elephants in the room would say amen because the younger ones are like, I don't know, pastor, right? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. That's not what the scientists tell me, right? But it's what the generation before us uh, has done. And we're seeing this generation, the younger, and their capacity isn't near what it what it was for even the generations before it just declined. Does that sound good? 